Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Welcome to Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. I am Joe Galina. And as always, I am joined by my buddy, Scott Chu. Scott, it's been a while. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm actually fully in the, the fantasy baseball mindset now. I uh, actually just finished the original set of the ranks that we'll be doing for the Pitcher List 6.0 release, which is awesome. in February, mm-hmm. week before the Super Bowl. Uh, usually it's after, but, you know, because of, you know, the way the NFL s- schedule kind of worked out, we're doing it. Uh, it's right in the beginning of February. So keep an eye out for that. I've got top 30 for each position. It'll be a little different than what, you know, we're going to be talking about ADPs and stuff. But mm-hmm. the the ranks I do are for five starts at each position, which matches Yahoo. So you might notice that some of them you're like, oh, that guy's not shortstop eligible in my league. And it's like, yeah, I know, because. Yeah, Yahoo is uh, very ESPN liberal and NFBC. They use 20 games. Yahoo right. is just a huge outlier. I mean, one of the biggest ones you'll find in that format is Mookie Betts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Yahoo. Basically, if you look at a position, you know, if you passed it like on the base base paths, you're eligible. So <laughs> yeah. Anthony Rizzo <laughs> used to get second base eligibility because of the shift. Right. right. Uh, when he was with the Cubs, <laughs> he would shift into second base and it would count as an appearance for like one at bat. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So how'd the, how'd the holidays treat you? How's everything going? Not too bad. Uh, you know, we, I'm up here in the North, just like you are. Uh, we had that big blizzard roll through right around Christmas. So did me a favor. It split up all the Christmases. So I didn't have one weekend of driving myself all over the state, Mm. uh, here in Michigan, trying to, you know, and then just ending up with these baskets of presents for my son and for us and just all this clutter that takes forever to get rid of. We were able to split it up went nice you know we're able to stay safe during the blizzard didn't lose power or anything so can't complain that's great that's great yeah the the blizzard passed us by you know in new york city we were uh we had frigid temperatures like christmas morning was like seven degrees but we didn't get any snow so you had a white christmas huh yeah yeah we got i mean a little less little less than a foot i mean there was talk of there being even more snow than what we got the -hmm. worst part was just the ice because right, of right, those yeah. frigid temperatures, it was just so icy. It was awful. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, glad that you're safe. Glad that you good had a good holiday. And like I said, it's been a while. I think the last episode we did, we focused on a lot of the hot stove moves. And uh, I'm not going to go through everything that went on since since our last get together there, Scott. But uh, any of the moves stick out at you, like you know Sean Murphy to the Braves. You know these these moves that have taken place. Since we last met, uh, you know, Carlos Rodon to the Yanks, uh, Syndergaard, fifth starter for the Dodgers. You got Chris Bassett, three-year deal with the Blue Jays, Sean Manaya, two-year deal with the Giants. Any of these stick out at you or just basically, um, you know, not going to really affect the fantasy uh, landscape too much? Yeah, I mean, you know, Rodon 
it's nicer to pitch in San Francisco than it is in New York. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's, but, but that's not enough for me to say like, Oh, he's moving way down in rankings, right? Like someone mm-hmm. might shuffle him in a tier somewhere, you know, they might move him down a spot or two, uh, you know, with home ballpark being its tiebreaker, but it's not as though the AL East is as formidable as it once was, you know, the Red Sox just don't look very good. It, and maybe if Trevor story comes back, you know, they will be a little bit, it'll be a little bit scarier, but you know, that, you know, Sean Murphy, it's, it's he's actually a, a little better off because hitting in Oakland is hard. That huge, it's a big ballpark and it's got a huge foul territory. So it really punishes guys who hit a lot of fly balls because player, you know, the outfielders and the corner infielders are able to get to them. So uh, with, with him, that's a little nicer and he'll be, you know, obviously in a much better lineup. I think it just solidifies Sean Murphy as a guy who is really, you know, sort of at the end of this should be drafted in 12 team one catcher leagues sort of area. Right. Mm-hmm. I rank him 10th uh, in the rankings. I'll be coming out in the same tier as like Wilson Contreras, MJ Melendez and William Contreras. That's actually the whole tier. Mm. Uh, and it's, you know, and it's right behind like Perez and Rutschman and Kirk. There's a bit of a gap there between like that tier and the tier that Sean Murphy's in and Sean Murphy's at the bottom because, you know, his batting average is limited, but it's nice to see him in a, you know, sort of in a ballpark that will be a little bit better to hit in and more importantly, a lineup that will be a lot better to hit in. Right, right. Yeah. And then, of course, away. you know, we didn't talk about Lou and Diaz. I think he got moved like six times <laughs> since we last talked. So we don't have that. That's a whole episode if we need to do that. There we go. There we go. We'll keep that in the bank. Keep that in our library, uh, future library. Um, yeah. You talk about Sean Murphy, you know, getting a, a little bit of a boost, getting away from the, that Oakland mausoleum where, where the A's play their home games. 45 point better batting average on the road for his career. And OPS is almost 140 points better uh, on the road as well. So um, you kind of alluded that, you know, you're fully into, you know, fantasy baseball right now. And I'm sure that we're getting a lot more individuals tuning into these kinds of podcasts now because uh, as we're recording this, it's January 7th, uh, 1 p.m. Eastern time. It's the final regular season of football. So fantasy football coming to an end some i guess some leagues play that last the 18th week uh, most don't but uh, now's the time really to focus on uh, fantasy baseball at this stage yeah absolutely i mean uh you know fantasy football is coming to an end i actually do have one league that plays the final week and it's because we do a two-week championship okay right so the championship mm-hmm. is is over the course of both weeks mm-hmm. which is kind of fun and interesting you know whatever uh it's just a you know, a group of guys that I used to work with. So it's kind of fun. Um, obviously, you know, there's big NFL news. We don't need to spend a lot of time with it, but, you know, glad to hear that DeMar Hamlin is, is feeling better Absolutely, uh, yes. back, you know, back to consciousness and mm-hmm. actually, you know, uh, young, you know, young baseball players that are in like little league, they'll wear chest protectors uh, well, because did. sometimes those line drives can hit someone right in the chest. So absolutely. Luckily, yeah. yeah. Luckily we don't see too much of that in the major leagues, but yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. this is, this is fantasy baseball time. It's really starting to ramp up. We'll see it even more in February when pitchers and catchers report. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is the time to really start getting ahead. It's not like we're going to get a lot of new information before spring training. You know, right. the information you get now and the information you can get three weeks from now, pretty much the same, unless someone, you know, there'll be a couple of random injuries reported, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's dive right in. I mean, uh, we had the last position that we had done a deep dive into was second base. Uh, and now uh, we 
go to one of the deepest positions in fantasy baseball shortstop and and you have your rankings and you know i'll refer also to the nfbc adp rankings as well um we'll just start with the trey turner really not much to say about him that hasn't already been said uh in a lot of leagues he's the number one overall pick five tool production uh playing with the phillies uh, wanted to go with the Phillies, just signed there as a free agent. So, I mean, I don't really see a change in his uh, fantasy value at this stage. I think he's just going to be uh, what he always has been, young enough to continue to steal bases and and uh, continue to produce, you know, high batting average and home runs. Yeah, I mean, there's always some question about stolen bases when a player goes to a new team just because stolen bases are very, you know, your manager is one of the biggest influences on your stolen base potential, right? Mm. If there's managers that don't run, right? Jim Leland was a guy with Detroit that just never sent guys like ever. He could have had guys that could have stole. I mean, he had, he had Rajai Davis for a while and he, he didn't send him nearly as often as you think, because that just wasn't his philosophy. He should be fine in Philly. They've had plenty of guys that can steal some bases. They let JT Rio Muto run, right? Mm-hmm. If you're going to let your catcher run, you're probably going to let your shortstop run. Right. So, you know, and the top of that Philly's lineup is, as good as ever. I mean, some folks might start getting a little worried because Trey Turner's starting to cross that, you know, that magical 30 year old bridge, right? Mm-hmm. Which I did several years ago. And I'll admit I'm not as fast as I was, but I'm not too worried about Trey Turner. Uh, you know, he's being picked at the top, not because I think, I, I think very few people will project him to be the number one fantasy player. But the reason you take him first overall is because almost everyone projects him to finish within the top five to seven. Mm-hmm. Right. He's an incredibly safe pick at the top. Him and Jose Ramirez, who we'll talk about on the next position breakdown, are there not because we think we're they're the best. It's because they're so likely to finish in that top one, two, or three at their position. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like the you know, the, that's their 90, you know, even their like 50% outcome, which you know, a season that's not as good as you hope, they're still gonna finish up there because he's just that dependable. His range of outcomes is pretty tight. So the only reason I would avoid it is those of you who are in head-to-head category leagues, particularly more shallow ones, stolen bases matter less. In the NFBC, stolen bases matter a ton, especially if you're going after that overall. But in a head-to-head categories league, and we'll talk about this more with other players, uh, the stolen bases don't matter as much, right? There are a lot of good strategies to punting stolen bases in these head-to-head category leagues. That might move him down your board a little bit, but sure as heck not out of the top half of the first round, right? Mm -hmm. If If you're picking fifth and Trey Turner falls to you, you take it. Oh my God. Right. Yeah. It's a gift. (laughs) Yeah. Even if you're like, Oh, I was going to punt stolen bases. You should never be thinking about punting a category in the first round. Yeah. Right. That's just not, that's not the way to do that. You Mm -hmm. end up deciding to punt because those players didn't come to you early in the draft. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, you, uh, you know, we're going to continue doing the uh, shortstop preview, but you mentioned stolen bases, of course, and you have to when you talk Trey Turner. And we'll talk about this specifically, you know, going forward in other episodes as well. But let me stop right here, just get a quick assessment with the new rule changes. There, I, I'm, I'm seeing some analysts saying that, wow, there's going to be a huge uptick in stolen bases because of, you know, the, the change in rules where the pitcher is limited in how many pickoff throws he can make to first base. And, you know, uh, the, the, the size of the base uh, has been uh, enlarged a couple inches or whatnot. Do you think we're going to see a huge uptick in stolen bases 
at this stage or is it kind of like a wait and see kind of thing or as well like you mentioned before uh, a team strategy you know a manager's uh you know underlying strategy that that's more cons- that will be more influential yeah i think the way this is going to work is that certain pitchers are going to get picked on a lot you remember john lester and he got the yips for like oh, yeah. 4 years So that's the kind of thing that I think they're really going to start taking advantage of specific pitcher catcher combinations, right? The Mets used to be so bad at it, right? Because like Noah Syndergaard takes forever to throw a pitch, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, Now the pitch clock has made that go a little faster. You can't Mm -hmm. take quite as much time, but it's going to be very specific. I think it's going to be great for when you're streaming because we're going to find specific batteries that these teams are going to run after, right? They're going to say, you're going to get on first and you're going to look to run, right? But overall, you know, maybe a couple guys like a Trey Turner gets a slightly better uh, sort of success rate on stolen bases because the bag's a little bigger and they can't try to keep him on first base quite as aggressively. But it's really just going to be situational, right? I, I mean, I hate to use that as my everything's going to be situational, but this specifically, right? Same with the shift. Certain players or certain situations, it's really going to be obvious. And a lot of the other stuff, it's just going to be nothing. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, with Trey Turner, it's not that I think he'll overall get more, but I do think he'll get more against maybe certain teams, mm-hmm. certain pitchers, certain catchers. They're going to pick on him more. And that's, it'll be easier to find stolen bases that way. Cause you're like, oh, if a guy is playing against this battery, there's a decent chance he can run. Yeah. That's a great point that from an offensive standpoint, uh, that, you know, you could plan and strategize more as, you know, you're, you're on bases to which pitchers to target. So that's great, great analysis on your part. Um, let's finish this this top tier. Um, the second uh, shortstop coming off the board at NFBC is Bobby Witt, um, also eligible shortstop third base. Um, you know, stole 30 bases last season, 20 home runs, 254 batting average. Has to work on his plate discipline. Only walked 4.7% of the time, uh, which contributed to a pretty low 294 OBP was much better in the minor leagues where it was like in the mid 300 range. Uh, O swing also of 37.3 O swing is when you swing at pitches outside of the uh, strike zone. League average was 32.6. And I'll just go through the next couple in in this tier and then you could comment. Bo Bichette we've spoken about before where he uh, got red hot at the end of the season. Um, Got caught stolen base. Uh, He attempted to steal 21 bases got caught eight times so keep that in mind i don't know if he's going to be getting the green light too often but obviously very very talented young shortstop for the blue jays and then uh finishing up this this tier uh well we got uh, fernando tatis um you know actually this weekend scott he's eligible to start um baseball activity again of course uh Going to miss the first 21 games of the season due to the end of his PED suspension. Uh, had multiple surgeries, two surgeries on his wrist. The uh, Had the labrum surgery for his troubled sh- shoulder. And for me, devil's advocate here, you know, how much of the power comes back right away after having two surgeries on your wrists? But uh, I'll let you, you talk about uh, those players in, in your first tier. Yeah, so let's start with Bobby Witt. I'll, I'll tell you that, you know, with... With my, you know, my personal rankings, I had I had to go Turner, Bachet, Tatis, then Bobby Witt, mm-hmm. uh, yep. just because again I'm focusing on a bit of a different sort of format than the NFBC, 
right? Mm -hmm. So Bobby Witt's up there because not only is he eligible at third base, which is a big deal, but sure. also he steals a bunch of bases. But I'm glad you mentioned his plate discipline because if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I just posted one of my favorite things, and that's a rolling chart. And Bobby Witt Jr.'s rolling strikeout rate chart is exactly what you want to see from a rookie, right? It drops down. I mean, it just keeps coming down and down and down and down and down. He ends the season with a 21.4% strikeout rate, but he actually spent the last uh, about 60, maybe 70 games of the season well below that, between 15 and 20%, right? I mean, almost the entire second half of the season, he is nice and in that 15 to 20% strikeout rate range, which makes it a lot more palatable if he's only walking once in a while, right? I mean, that's really, really, really what I wanted to see. It gives him more opportunities to make contact, get on base with his kind of speed. He just needs to put the bat on the ball and start running, mm -hmm. right? I mean, he yep. can, he can definitely get there. Uh, when you talk about Bo Bichette, I mean, he had such a weird season. The final line looked great, but you have to remember that this all came at the end of the season. He yeah. was incredibly average or worse for the whole first half, it was really bizarre. I have no idea what happened. He made Part me suffer in that first half. I'll tell you for, for certain. Yeah, I actually, I <laughs> traded him in a dynasty league. I'm kicking myself now, but man, he was so average for so long. The quality mm -hmm. contact wasn't good. It wasn't like he was unlucky. He was not good for mm -hmm. a long time. So something to keep in the back of your mind, but it's not, I mean, what he showed was that Boba Chet has the talent to create a full season stat line in two months, right? I mean, that's, that's really what I sort of took away from all that is that the talent's there and that's all it takes, you know, in head to head in categories that killed you. Cause you can't go back and get those wins back right from the first yeah. half of the season. But in Roto, it totally makes up for itself. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, you put him back in and boom, it's all there. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's not like you ever benched the guy, right. Especially in like an NFBC league where it's so deep, you don't have a shortstop any given week. that's better than even average Boba Chet, right. You just mm -hmm. didn't have one. You waited for him. So it really worked out. Again, head-to-head, -head, it was a little worse. But Bobachet, no, no real worries there. That's still a strong lineup. That's still, you know, a player that you should be targeting. There's there's no reason to worry about it. I ranked him second because I still I believe in him that much. But speaking of talent to make things happen in a single half, of, you know, in a short time, let's talk about Fernando Tatis Jr., right? So Injured, obviously, but you know, that suspension almost is a bit of a blessing because he gets to go and get healthy, right? Because he was going to play through every injury he got. Mm -hmm. He was going to play through the shoulder. He wasn't stuff, even going to tell the Padres about his wrist, right? <laughs> He's like, they're asking him about it. And, you know, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I had this little motorcycle accident. Yeah, no big deal. But let's remember that that big, you know, I don't want to call it a breakout season because he's always been good when he's been in the majors. But that big season he had in 2021 with 42 home runs, 99 runs scored, 97 RBI, 20 stolen bases. That was in 130 games, right? Mm -hmm. In theory, he could actually play more than that this season, right? He won't, right? He's not going to play, you know, 130 games means he plays just about every single day. And it's hard for a player with that injury history to sort of do that. But Let's look at that steamer projection. They're projecting 118 games, right? So they project him to miss probably about another 25 games on top of his suspension, right? They still have him for 35 home runs, 87 runs scored, 89 RBI, and 19 stolen bases with a 283 batting average, mm -hmm. right? Like, that's, that's amazing. That's a full season player. Like, what player are you mad that that was their line, right? And if he's hurt, you know, you get to, you know, you get to, have a replacement player in there picking up some stats. Now, again, he won't be on the IL. If your league has an NA spot, 
I'm moving Tatis actually up my ranks because then I can put him in that NA slot uh, for some leagues because he's still serving a suspension and you get that roster spot back. But a lot of leagues, especially like NFBC, you don't. That's a dead roster spot. You don't have him for a whole month. And as you know, when I was talking to the, you know about my hitter rankings to Nick Pollock uh, to as like a two person roundtable, he pointed out that's a six of the season, right? Mm. I mean that that's a big deal. So that's something to keep in mind. But the upside is just so massive. Mm-hmm. It is. He could very. I mean, it's very plausible that he plays 125 games and is a top five player in fantasy this year. Mm-hmm. The very few players with that kind of upside. That's why I think you just have to go after him. Uh, if you know, especially if you feel good about being able to fill that shortstop position while he's out. Yeah. Right. So that's the one I think you have to have a decision on Fernando Tatis. When you go into your drafts, you've got to know this, this is when I'm comfortable taking him. You should always be willing to take him. You just got to know how early you're willing to do that. Right. And have a capable backup. You know, if you're using him, at the shortstop position, because I didn't even mention that he's shortstop outfield eligible. And the guy that we'll talk about a little bit later in uh, Xander Bogarts will probably play most of the time at shortstop, you would think. Uh, But the fact that he's also outfield eligible makes him even more valuable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're probably going to have, I mean, filling, especially in like a three outfield league, filling that last outfield spot's pretty easy, but it is nice because shortstop is so deep and it's very possible that you'll wind up with two very, very good shortstops in the first four rounds of your draft. Right. And and five outfield leagues, we're seeing that, you know, talent dries up pretty quickly too. So, you know, having him, having him as eligible at outfielder helps all that much more. Yeah, I mean, if you're there and, and all of a sudden you've wound up with Fernando Tatis Jr. and you've you know landed maybe a Corey Seager, right? Mm. I mean, that's that's a very plausible thing to happen in drafts because shortstop is so deep at the top, mm-hmm. right? It's just really really thick up there, and then it, it like then it sort of just drops off the face of the earth, right? It happens around like shortstop number twenty or so in like a Yahoo style league. Uh, you start going from like Xander Bogarts and Car- Carlos Correa, and then there's like Jeremy Pena and Glaber Torres and Ahmed Rosario all of a sudden feeling much less secure. And then you're coming way down where you're like, man, I hope Nico Horner breaks out. I wonder what Tyro Estrada can do, right? Those guys just don't have a chance at being top tier players, mm-hmm. right? It What's really weird about shortstop is the top half. There's a bunch of guys you're like, man, these guys could really be top five, top six shortstops, right? But then there's like this hard line where it's like, no, like that possibility goes out the window. I'm a big Jeremy Pena fan and think that, he, you know, he's a really nice target because he's a very good shortstop that you can get late. But Jeremy Pena will not be a top seven shortstop, right? Mm-hmm. Because he's not going to beat out Lindor and Seager and Semyon. He's, you know, he's got a chance to be in the mix in like that sort of, you know, 10 to 15 kind of tier, you know, like with Dansby Swanson and Andres Jimenez, and he can like he can sort of get in there with those guys because I think he's got a good hit tool. We'll talk about it more later, but he's just going to – you just run out of upside, right? Mm-hmm. The, the upside you need to be at top of shortstop right now is massive because the best fantasy players are there at that position. They're at shortstop and outfield. So it, it's it's tough there, but, you know, again, just because of all that depth, there is a way to take Tatis Jr. and not hurt. Right. right. Especially at shortstop. Yep. Well, let's take a quick break here because we got through your first tier top four 
at the shortstop position. We'll be right back and uh, pick up our breakdown of the shortstop position right after this. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. And that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, we're back. Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. I'm Joe Galina. This guy is Scott Chu. We're breaking down the shortstop position. And we got through the first four. And uh, we're kind of talking NFBC ADP as well as Scott's rankings, which will appear on the Pitcher List website um, in February, right? right? You said uh, right right around the time that the yeah, I think Bowl- it's February 7th. You know, I hate to say don't quote me on that because I should yeah. know this stuff, but it's the launch day for Pitcher List 6.0. Right. Okay. So let's take a look at the the next few uh, shortstops, according to NFBC, and as well uh, your rankings. Uh, Francisco Lindor, fifth shortstop coming off the uh, board in NFBC ADP leagues. ADP of 35 overall. Had a big bounce back season um, in 2022, especially when it comes to runs scored and RBI production. Uh, Batted 270 for the season. Uh, 26 home runs were his most since the 2019 season. Had 107 RBI and 98 runs scored. Uh, only negative that I could see the uh, 270 batting average. You had a expected batting average of, of 254, but we could discuss that. Um, then from from there, um, you mentioned Marcus Simeon because of the uh, position eligibility. Uh, NFBC has him as second base only, but we could talk a little Marcus Simeon uh, in a moment. Um, but the guy I, I'm kind of, you mentioned him earlier before, Corey Seager, um, he kind of creates a, a new tier when it comes to NFBC uh, ADP. He's at number 73 overall, actually down to 68. So when I first started taking notes on the on on the shortstop position, he's picked up like five five spots, but had a really good season, 33, 33 home runs, 91 runs scored, uh, batted second for most of the season. That might explain why he only had 83 uh, RBI, but uh, his 245 batting average, well below his career norm, but he had a 283 expected batting average. And Scott, he's one of the guys that uh, they think is going to benefit a lot from uh, the lack of the shift. Uh, so I was looking at an article by Sports Info Sol- Solutions. They wrote it back in September, uh, mid-September, September 12th, actually. And at that point, they said that he had 25 hits lost due to the shift. That was the most in baseball last season. So um, 
you know, I mean, based on his ADP and his pedigree and the fact that maybe he might see a little uh, help with the lack of the shift, I'm kind of liking Corey Seager this season. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple things going on here. Let's talk about the shift first. I think that's the sort of the hottest topic. He does lose 25 hits to the shift. I do think teams are going to find ways to pseudo shift. So I don't want to say it's entirely going away, but Mm -hmm. his batted ball profile explains that huge gap between his batting average and his expected batting average. You know, the the original X stats that you get from StatCast don't really account for batted ball direction. If you go to pitcher list and look at his player page there, they do. So we do a little better job of, of grabbing that and his expected aver- batting average was a little better. But he's got that classic archetype of why he was being shifted. He's a lefty who hits a fair number of ground balls. And when he hits ground balls, you know what he does with them? He pulls them right? He doesn't spray him. He pulls them. So when he hits ground balls, it goes right where you think it's going to go. So there's a lot of upside there. Now, one, you know, love seeing the big power, you know, the big, big power come back, right? 33 home runs. He hadn't hit that many since his first full season back in 2016 Mm -hmm. uh, for Corey Seager. So, so that was a big deal. This guy's only 28 years old. Uh, He'll turn 29 during the season. His, you know, obviously his plate discipline, the plate discipline for Seager is fantastic, right? He's Mm -hmm. a, you know, he actually gets a big boost in points leagues because of how much contact he makes. Uh, Texas has done a good job in terms of like building, they're sort of building a roster, believe it or not. Most of it through free agency, which is a really hard thing to do. It's an expensive thing to do, but I'm glad they're doing it because I hope that billionaires spend money, generally speaking. So, you know, I love that he was healthy. Love that he hit the home runs. I think the batting average is going to come up, right? I actually sort of like Steamer's projection here of 270 Mm -hmm. uh, for Corey Seager. I I think that makes sense. Uh, 245 is going to be an outlier. It it is an outlier if you just look at his career, right? I mean, uh, he just doesn't hit like that. So shifting is not all that new. Uh, What is sort of new for him is how often he pulls. He pulls a little bit more as of late. But, you know, he, he's getting, you know, I'm not, I don't want to say he's getting better about it. He just had his highest pull rate for a single season. But the, this change in the shift, you know, hopefully that gives him a couple hits back, even if it's not 25, maybe it's 12, right? 12 hits is still a lot of hits, sure. right? Like that matters. Mm-hmm. So, you know, t- getting, you know, getting a, a decent number of hits back will be a big deal and just regular natural regression to the mean, right? This guy mm-hmm. is a 270 to 280 hitter or better. Right. That's just that's the talent he has with the bat. He's got a great hit tool. I think he's going to get a whole lot closer to that. And he's absolutely a value. If he falls in your drafts at all, right? Like looking at some of these max picks, like 82. Holy cow. Right. Like <laughs> even at that ADP at 67, like there's no format where I don't want him. Right. Sure, mm-hmm. he doesn't steal bases, but I don't care. He didn't need to steal bases because he can hit home runs, right? He can hit for average, even though he didn't last season. I think he will. And he he showed us that healthy season again. That's exactly what I wanted to see. You can now see that he's played most of a season. Uh, he did that in 2019, 2020, and 2022. So now that durability issue is becoming a little less of a concern. He had it in 2021, but he's looking a whole, you know, he looked fully healthy last season. I think you can expect that 140 to 150 games this season, which is as many as you can really hope for for any player. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's yep. just, it's hard to project for more than that because guys get hurt. It's just a thing that happens. So Corey Seager, definitely someone I'd be targeting, but you may sometimes find that he goes a little earlier in drafts because everybody's targeting him. Everybody wants him. And yep. I think some people are going to overplay how much the shift will give him back in batting average when in reality, he'll get a bunch of that batting average back just by being Corey Seager. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned the uh, pitcherless player 
pages, man. You really, if you're doing, starting to do your analysis, really need to visit PitcherList.com. Uh, those player pages really out of sight. So uh, keep that in mind. And not just because, you know, I'm doing a podcast for PitcherList, but really impressive how the, uh, the website has really improved uh, in a short period of time. Yeah, and, and actually, I really want to – I'm glad you mentioned it again. I really want to talk about it because his – if you go to StatCast, they say he had next average of 245. You know what it was for us at PitcherList? Because we get the StatCast data. We're the only, we're the only site that gets uh, that StatCast data and can manipulate it, right? Mm-hmm. So we use everything we get for them. Uh, we've got Kyle Bland and a couple other folks really sort of tweaking these to make it better. We've got a lot of cool stats coming out, but our expected batting average for last year – 285 wow because we accounted for the directionality right that means i like that's even more evidence that it should be up right Mm -hmm. it's even more evidence that he should be right there so Mm -hmm. really use out if you use pitcher lists expected stats you're just going to find a much better judge of a guy's true talent than the regular ones because we have taken the expected batting average you get on Statcast and built on it we've got Mm -hmm. we've got more than what they have we've found more things that correlate Right. It, it's really, really cool. You'll you'll hear a lot more about it as we get closer to pitcher list six but use those. Those are your edge. What like, you know, everybody knows to like look up a stat cast thing, right? But when you have information that others don't have, it's one of the few edges you can still get sure. in this game with data and pitcher list. I'm telling you, I you know, I'm I'm a company man, I'm a shill, whatever. Our stuff is really, really good. I've seen some of the, like the stuff that goes into it. I'm not a math wizard, but I do understand hitting a little bit. And like they do a really, really good job of knowing what else goes into a hit, adding those things that Statcast doesn't add in right now. Ball directionality is a big one, and sure. I'm I'm so glad that we are factoring that in because that's a huge that's a huge deal with or without the shift. It's a huge deal knowing where those balls are getting hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So that really wraps up this your second tier. Uh. But just continuing on, we've got according to NFBC seventh. Shortstop coming off the board is Tommy Edmond, uh, Cardinals uh, second baseman shortstop. We, I think we spoke about him at length when we did our second base recap. Uh, 2022 is the second straight season of 30 or more stolen bases, and he should be a major contributor uh, to that category as long as the Cardinals keep batting him in the leadoff spot. And then um, O'Neill Cruz is the eighth shortstop coming off the board. Um, I, we feel we've spoken about him uh, at length as well in an earlier episode um, after the season was over. Obviously, hits the ball extremely hard. 100th percentile in max exit velocity per uh, baseball savant. Um, you know, he finished. He has some interesting splits. Uh, batted 158 against left-handed pitching, uh, 265 against righties. Um, 269 batting average at home, 194 away, but um, finished off the season strong uh, in his last 28 games, uh, batted 298 with a 370 OBP and a 544 slug. And we saw a big drop in his K rate too, as the season progressed. Um, and uh, ninth shortstop Dansby Swanson, newly signed to the Cubs, only played 16 career games at Wrigley, but batted 307, 403, 452. Uh, triple slash, and of course, I guess you have to take into account not just the ballpark, but who he was facing there as well. Uh, but uh, five-tool guy uh, entering his prime years, um, expected batting average 
he was batting 277 expected batting average was 20 points below his actual so um i don't know if you want to just take a quick stab at a couple of these guys and then we could just move on but uh, this next tier of yours is huge yeah so i mean i'll briefly mention that this tier is enormous because mm-hmm. there's a lot of guys who could be at the top of it Mm-hmm. Right. One of the reasons I say this position is so deep is because there's this big pool of players who all have this chance to be a top 10 shortstop. Right. There's not a lot of positions where you can say the guy going 17th uh, or, you know, the guy who ranks 17th has a very, you know, for me, that's Gunnar Henderson. We'll talk about him later. But like he's got a real shot at being a top 10 shortstop. Right. Because he's got that kind of talent. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a very interesting thing that we're seeing at shortstop right now. Just a lot of good players there. So O'Neill Cruz, I mean, he's the one that people are going to want to talk about. Uh, I mean, briefly on Tommy Edmond, you know what he is, right? He's multi-position eligible. He steals bases. He doesn't do a whole lot else. At this point in the draft, you either need stolen bases or you don't. So Tommy Edmond is either on your board or he isn't, right? I mean, that's just something to know about Tommy Edmond. He's a guy that moves up and down your board because his main value comes from those stolen bases, right? Barely double-digit power, whatever. But O'Neill Cruz. So a couple things. Number one, the strikeout rate is real. Right. This guy's a six foot seven shortstop. Right. It's a big strike zone. It takes him a long time to get the bat through it. Right. He's going to strike out. Now, there's a reason, though, that places like Steamer are projecting this sub 30 percent strikeout rate, even though that is not what we saw. And I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, the rolling charts show that it's way, way better. It did right at the end of the season. We saw this period of time, about 50 at bats or 40 at bats or so of even walks to strikeouts. Right. That's a big deal. Right. Even if it's only for 40 at bats, because, you know, people like to talk about stabilization points. We don't talk about it as much right now, but for strikeout rate, it's actually some it's not predictive, but it's very descriptive at about 50. Right. So to see 40 of really good plate discipline is impressive. And the fact is, with O'Neill Cruz, he can run faster, throw harder, hit harder than anybody else in baseball. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just what he's able to do. There's very few players with this kind of elite talent. I think that's going to make him either. He's either going to go too early in your drafts or he's going to fall to you, right? It's one of these two because either a bunch of people are going to be off because of the strikeout rate. Uh, I will say again, I've talked about him a few times. Kyle Bland, uh, he, he's he got a Twitter. Uh, he calls it Blandalytics. He's, he's got some really, really cool stuff. And we've got some rolling charts on swing decisions, right? Based on uh, who... You know, who swung at what pitches and they're there. It's individual events. It's not just did he swing at stuff outside the strike zone? It's did he swing at good pitches or not? Right. And again, you won't be surprised to hear that O'Neill Cruz swung at a lot of pitches. He really shouldn't have. Right. But late in the season, we see those swing decisions getting better and better and better. And he struck out a lot. He knows he struck out a lot. What do you think he's working on right now? What do you think he did? What did the, you know, the pirates are not a smart organization. They, you know, insulted Brian Reynolds with the contract offer they gave him, Mm -hmm. uh, acting like they're buying years of arbitration or something. It was ridiculous. But one thing, anybody would understand that, Hey, O'Neill Cruz, let's talk about striking out less next year. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's base level. Little league coach would figure that out. Right. So that's what he's working on. I think he will make better swing decisions. There's a lot of cool ways that teams can work on that. Uh, I know some teams have like virtual reality goggles that they actually do for like pitch recognition where they show like a ball coming out and spin and try to help the the player recognize the pitch earlier and earlier. There's things he can do. I think he will get to them. He's still going to strike out a lot. It's going to be more than 25%. But if it's under 30%, if you told me right now that you went to the future and O'Neill Cruz struck out less than 30% of the time and he played 130 games, I would be drafting him at his ADP. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 
because he's that kind of talent. I mean, we're talking 2020 stolen bases, maybe 25, 25, right? This guy is just supremely athletic, supremely talented. He can do a lot of things, right? We're waiting on the hit tool. I hate waiting on hit tools because when the hit tools off you, I mean, there's no stats to come when you swing and miss, right? Mm -hmm. You don't get any positive stats for that. But I think that the talent is just so high that you have to be ready for it. Finally, Dansby Swanson had a career year. You've already got an idea of how you feel about Dansby Swanson. Probably. Um, I ranked him fairly well. Um, it, you know, in my ranks, he's he's inside the top 10. But if you told me you ranked him 15th, I would not argue with you, right? Because I think that that little pack is densely populated. And I do think he's going to get a chance to get a lot of at-bats with the Cubs. He's going to bat right in the top of that lineup. And that's one thing that's held him back. Uh, when he was with Atlanta, Dansby Swanson would routinely get pushed down to 6th, 7th in the batting order because they had Acuna and Albies. And, uh, you know, they even batted Travis Darno ahead of him. Right. So last season, one of the reasons he breaks out is because he got locked into that number two spot in the lineup. He's going to get that in Chicago. They've got a couple pieces at the top of that lineup. I think that that can be useful. I think he can get some stats there. I think he's going to play every day. So there's good. There's a very good, safe shortstop there, even if he's not someone that's going to excite you, despite finishing in the top five at shortstop last season. Uh, It's weird to be down on him. But, you know, some people don't play don't pay for breakouts. You're kind of not paying for a breakout. I think his ADP is very reasonable. You know, NFBC it's 80.96, right? So it's not like you have to take him as a top five shortstop. So I think this is, this is a decent place for him. And he's, again, he's a very safe option, especially if you missed out on the top. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let, let's take another quick break and continue breaking down the shortstops in this tier. And uh, we're going to talk about, Xander Bogarts, who was the 10th shortstop to come off the board in NFBC ADP uh, drafts so far this season. And we'll talk about Bogarts right after this. All right, we're back. Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. Joe Galena, you can follow me at Joe Galena on Twitter, and you could follow my co-host Scott Chu at if the Chu fits and and we're in the middle of Scott's third tier and we're also breaking down you know comparing it to NFBC ADP um, drafts uh, Xander Bogart's 10th shortstop coming off the board of course uh, signed the long-term contract with the Padres uh, not a great hitting environment for right-handed batters in San Diego's uh, Petco Park um, Batting average was fine last season, but he did suffer a power outage last season. Uh, Bogarts hit just 15 home runs, pulled the ball uh, less this past season, uh, possibly the result of him having to adjust his swing after he suffered an injury. He had a collision with outfielder Alex Verdugo on May 20th and seemed never to really get that power bat going again. Uh, Overall, he pulled the ball just under 40% of the time, which is down from 456 percent in 2021 and the last time that he pulled the ball that uh, that low of a percentage was 2015 and that affected his home run production as well that season had only seven home runs uh 11th shortstop according to nfbc drafts tim anderson not a sexy name but provides consistent and very good production still only 30 years old uh had uh, finger surgery which ended his season in early august it also had a groin strain where he missed time in June. 
So he played just uh, 79 games. But it seems that the power that we used to see from him uh, hasn't been there. Uh, used to think of him as a 50, 15 to 20 homer guy. But, uh, you know, he already has a, a high career ground ball rate of 52%. But the launch angle has also gone down. So I think the home runs, we might not see getting back to that uh, that early career level that we have. But if you're looking for a guy um, for batting average and, and even for stolen bases, I mean, the guy hasn't batted below 301 since the 2019 season. And another guy I'll just bring up, uh, the 12th shortstop coming off the board in NFBC ADP uh, rankings here. Wanda Franco for the Rays. Trying to figure out who he is, what he's going to end up as, what type of production. Uh, he's going to be 22 years old this season, so very young. Um, based on his brief time in the big leagues, in my opinion, he's a basically a 280 hitter, 15 home runs, 10 stolen base guy. Very similar. I agree with, with Steamer projections. Uh, but look, big thing with him is you got to love his plate discipline. Uh, 153 big league games, 86.4% contact rate. That's 10%. Um, more than the league average from last season. So um, uh, uh, unfortunately, last season, he only played 83 games, had a quad strain, broken hamate bone in his right hand. Unfortunately, that limited uh, the number of games he played last season. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, I want to start with Xander Bogart, who I actually rank quite a bit lower than his ADP, in part just because he's not super exciting. The first thing I want to say about him is, you remember in 2019 when he hit 33 home runs? Well, there's a lot of guys who have these crazy career highs in 2019 because that was the rabbit ball year. Yes. And when you see that, and it's something I always have to remind myself, when you're looking at a player's stat page, be it pitcher list, fan graphs, wherever, when the power spike is 2019, you need to take it with like six or seven grains of salt, right? You need to take at least 10% off the top of that, maybe 20, because we just don't see it. I mean, another guy like that is DJ LeMahieu, who we won't talk about at shortstop, but I mean, he had that big power spike in 2019, and guess what? Didn't come back, because 2019 really had a, it allowed certain types of hits to just leave the ballpark, mm-hmm. right? Stuff that you just didn't think would go went. So, uh, you know, I I implore people to sort of ignore the career highs. If you look at the rest of his career, 20 home runs is about right. I I think he Mm -hmm. might fall a little short of that, but 15 to 20, that sounds about right for Xander Bogertz. I mean, sure, that's fine. Uh, You know, Steamer's got that 19. That's fine. Um, I'm surprised that Steamer projects a 266 batting average. Yeah, he hasn't batted below, you know, he hasn't batted that low since 2014. Yeah, this guy started his career in the his first full season in the majors was in 2014. Xander Bogarts has been around forever, but he only just recently turned 30, right? Uh, we have a huge amount of data on Xander Bogarts. It's, you know, and it kind of all tells the same story. This is a good player, probably not a great one. He doesn't need to be drafted super high, but you're going to get a lot of production here. The only thing that worries me, and this is not like a like a database thing, is, man, everyone that went to San Diego in the middle of last year did not do it, right? I mean, they they all got worse. And some of that is natural regression, right, to the mean. Some guys were overperforming, and they stopped overperforming. But even Juan Soto, I mean, he was just not good. Right. And I don't think it's because of Petco specifically, but I wonder what the heck happened. Is it like, do they have bad advice from hitting coaches? Are they, you know, is it just bad luck and it'll go away? I mean, I'm inclined to think that, right? Like Xander, but like, 
it's not easy for Xander Bogarts to be a bad hitter, right? He's got a great hit tool, but of course, you know, something to think of. And then with Wander Franco, this is my concern is that Wander Franco might look a lot like Xander Bogarts from last year. This guy maybe has 20 to 25 home run power in him, but that needs to develop. He's just got maybe the best hit tool in the majors along with like Steven Kwan, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, these guys can put their bat on anything, Mm -hmm. right? So that's what makes Wander Franco so, you know, sort of exciting, but it's not the stat line, right? He needs to, like, he really needs to be volume driven. Now I rank him at 10th because of just the massive upside. If this guy plays 150 games, I mean, he's a batting title contender, Wander Franco. That's the kind of talent we're talking about here. But, you know, again, durability, a little bit of an issue of late. And, you know, he's, he may not overwhelm you. Like this is not a 30 home run hitter. I just don't think that's very reasonable to to see unless he makes a significant change in his batted ball profile. This is not a guy who's going to steal a bunch of bases, like maybe double digits, maybe, uh, but barely. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is like a 10 to 15 stolen base guy at best, depending on if the Rays want to let him run like that. But he should be able to pile up runs, pile up RBI and get you a ton of batting average uh, and some decent home runs. And that makes him like a four and a half tool guy. Right. So that's that's something to keep in mind with Wander Franco, that he may not wow you like he's sort of this like absolute opposite of O'Neill Cruz. O'Neill Cruz could be like a 30 30 guy if he puts it together. Right. Even if the batting average is never going to be above 250, 260. And even that might be a stretch. He'll strike out a lot. Wander Franco, especially in points leagues, comes up because he's going to make a ton of contact. That's just mm-hmm. the way Wander Franco is. There was a reason he was a super freak prospect, and it's because the guy can put his bat literally on anything. His pitch recognition is fantastic. That's just what he's able to do. So he's a he's a weird guy to kind of take, and you're really just going to have to feel your draft room out, know where you're at at shortstop, because it's a, it's a risk in that you just don't know what that's going to look like. But projections will generally like him because they're going to project a lot of at-bats, and they're going to project a really high batting average in those at-bats for a team that scores a lot of runs. So you put that stuff together, you get a guy who's probably pretty good. So, you know, that's, that's kind of a, that's kind of a thing to think about with him. Um, And really, again, this whole tier, like if you wanted to swap Dansby Swanson in my rankings with Xander Bogarts, fine, fine. I, I, you know, I rank them like seven places apart, but I can't begrudge you for that because this is a really, really tight tier, right? We talked about Tommy Edmond earlier, but I have him in the middle of this tier. Right mm-hmm. by ADP, he'd be sort of in the tier that was above this. And fine, fine. If you value stolen bases like that, fine. Yeah, I hate to say it, like right in the right in the middle of this pack. If you're in leagues that have five position, you know, five start eligibility, like Yahoo, you've also got uh, Andres Jimenez in this mix, who we talked about when we talked about second base, mm-hmm. who I like a lot because he's a 2020 guy who I think can hit for a high average. This is just a really packed tight tier. And then you've got a guy like Tim Anderson, who man, if he plays. If Tim Anderson plays, you're looking at 20 to 25 home runs, 20 to 25 stolen bases, a great batting average. Doesn't walk much, but he bats at the top of a, a White Sox lineup. If if they're just healthy for once, which feels like it's never going to happen, can mm. score a whole bunch of runs with Eloy and Lewis Robert uh, and Tim Anderson at the top of there. So he's, you know, he's an interesting guy. He's just a bit of a risk. I would never want Tim Anderson to be the first shortstop I took right. because that means I need another one and we're probably running out. More of a middle infielder kind of guy that, you know, if your shortstop goes down, you could slip him in to the spot. Yeah. Or maybe you have like Bobby Witt, who you currently have at third base, but maybe he could fill in shortstop if, mm-hmm. if, you know, if Tim Anderson goes down or, you know, you, you draft, you know, you felt like you got a steal, 
you normally, if I'm doing this is because I took a shortstop early in the draft and now I'm like, all right, I'll take another one because when Tim Anderson's active, he absolutely deserves to be in a utility spot. At least if you don't have middle infield, he's absolutely in your middle infield spot. So, but, but I don't want to be relying on him to be my starting shortstop because he just hasn't stayed healthy for the Mm -hmm. last several years. Yeah. Um, next guy, let's talk about the next three. And then there are a couple that, um, are in this tier and didn't appear in the top 15 according to NFBC that, you know, know, like you to talk about. So, uh, Willie Adamas was the 13th shortstop being taken in NFBC leagues. Um, through August 19th, he had a 219, 284, 443 triple slash and a line drive rate of 16.5. After that point, um, went on to hit 279 with a 330 OBP and a 492 slug, raised the line drive rate to 27.3. Uh, fly ball rate dropped about 10%, but of course, line drives tend to fall in for hits more often than fly ball. So a, a tale of... of two parts of a season for him hit a lot of home runs. I think he had uh, 31 home runs, 98 RBI and uh, chimed in with eight stolen bases. So um, the 14th is a guy that uh, 14th shortstop is a guy that you mentioned earlier, Jeremy Pena, uh, Carlos Correa's uh, heir. Um, you know, we talked about him uh, in a, a few episodes ago when second year players um, slumped in July and August, but then, rebounded nicely when it counted in September um, came up big also in the playoffs 41% O swing rate which is a little concerning but league average of, of 32.6 and th- th- then we got to talk about you can't talk shortstop without talking about the mess that's going on with uh, Carlos Correa can't even see say what team he's with <laughs> but uh, uh, just a quick you know, summary appeared to have come to long-term agreements with the Giants. They bought because they saw something in his physical that they didn't like. Basically, he had arthroscopic surgery to repair a fractured right fibula and some ligament damage back in June of 2014. He was he was 19 at the time. Uh, so uh, the uh, Giants balked on the uh, contract that they had agreed to but hadn't signed yet. Um, so then all of a sudden the Mets come in, right on their white horse, and they sign <laughs> Correa to a long-term deal. But they uh, looked at his medical history and they didn't like what they saw either uh same right leg issue but by the way korea has never gone on the il with a right leg issue in his eight big league seasons so uh, keep that in mind but uh mets and and korea's reps are trying to rework a deal now the twins might be back in uh trying to sign korea so it's a it's a huge mess but um you know look um He's going to play a, a full season unless he gets hurt for someone in 2023. And you know what you're going to get, you know, uh, mid 20 home run range, good batting average last season, 22 home runs, 291 batting average uh, never became the double digit steel machine that we had hoped because first couple seasons he had uh, 14 and 13 stolen bases uh, has has missed a lot of games throughout his career. Uh, played 136 last season, but when you take into consideration the six full seasons, you know, you take out 2020 because it was a, an abbreviated season, and then in his rookie year, he only came up in June. But when you take into consideration his six full seasons, he's only played as many as 136 games in a season three times. So, uh, you know, yeah, crazy let, let's situation. Start- 
<clears throat> Let's start with the guy who I actually rank at the top of this big giant mess of a tier. I ranked him above Dansby Swanson. I ranked him above Xander Bogarts, above O'Neill Cruz, uh, above Tommy Edmond, and that's Willie Adamas, right? So th- here's a couple things about Willie Adamas. First of all, big power. Right, I very much believe in that high 20s to low 30s home run power. Uh, he showed that when he first arrived in Milwaukee and he just kept showing it. The batting average wasn't pretty and I don't have some stat to make that look better. I'll be honest with you. I don't have, you know, I don't have in my bag of tricks a rolling chart that makes you think that that batting average is going to be a whole lot higher than 240, maybe 250, but You don't like the I'm fact fine he, with that. R- r- his line drive rate, he raised it uh, at the uh, end of the season. <clears throat> I don't know if he could yeah, sustain so, that. Yeah, That's going to help a little bit. Line drive rates can be just a little fluky at times uh, because, you know, the difference between a line drive ground ball and fly ball is, is a very, very small amount of wood on the bat, mm-hmm. right? So that just kind of happens. The fact of the matter to me is just that the power is very real. Expected stats show that power is real. That's what I'm after. I'm after that, you know, maybe not quite 10 stolen bases, but stole like actual stolen. You know, he does steal bases. It's not an insect. You know, eight is not an insignificant number. There's a lot of fantasy titles that could have changed hands with eight stolen bases. Right. Right. Uh, so, so that matters. And again, he, he's been fairly durable. He's played pretty much the whole season since 2019. He's gone through, uh, that, you know, these 30 home run, 31 home runs, I'm very much a believer, right? I think he can get back to 30. I, I think that he can get back to, you know, a whole mess of runs in RBI, almost double digit stolen bases. He just hurt you in batting average. And when you're doing rankings for things like a head to head categories league, the number one thing that I push down and value bit is often batting average because batting average is fluky from week to week. It's not as fluky from season to season, but from week to week, it absolutely gets fluky, right? So, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Willie Adamas. I think that he's a great pick there and he's a great value. And just because I, I rank him above those guys doesn't mean uh, I think that he will always like, he should always be drafted ahead of them. What it's really saying is like, I would draft him ahead of them. And because most people don't, uh, you might be able to wait just a little, but not that much. We're talking about NFBC uh, ADP. I'm looking at the ADP just over the last couple of weeks and the gap between O'Neill Cruz, who's number eight and Willie Adamas, who's number 13 is about 24 picks. Mm-hmm. That's less than two rounds, right? In, in NFBC, because those are 15 team leads. Uh, that's only two rounds in a Yahoo league, right? So these guys are all going really close together. Right, O'Neill Cruz, Danji Swanson, Xander Bogarts, Wander Franco, Tim Anderson, and Willie Adamas, uh, and to a slightly lesser extent, Pena and Correa, who I'll get to in a second. They're all going really, really close together. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these there's a reason, again, that this tier in my ranks is so big because you can shuffle them around based on your needs. If you don't need power because you loaded up on it early, then you probably don't need Willie Adamas because that's his main calling card is the power and probably the ribbies. So uh, that's something to just think about Let's talk about Carlos Correa a bit, uh, just because I know that he, I think his value is being pushed down in drafts a bit because of that durability. But let's be clear. The issue with Carlos Correa is not his potential availability for the 2023 season. The problem these teams have with Carlos Correa is his long-term health due to that, you know, whatever it is they put in his leg. Right. He's got a plate. (laughs) Yeah. They are worried about that long-term. They're not Mm -hmm. worried about that for 2023. And you shouldn't be worried about it for 2023. The only health concern you should have for Carlos Correa 2023 is the same health concerns you have for Carlos Correa going into 2022, right? It's just that he does get hurt a lot. But this, these contract negotiations, all that stuff, that doesn't impact his availability for the 2023. 
2023 season, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if I want to call back, uh, you know, I know a couple people have talked about this, but this should feel very similar to JD Martinez when he signed with the Red Sox. He was a Bosa, uh, he was a Boris client. He had durability issues. Teams balked a bit at his physicals, and it took all the way till the end of really spring training before he signed that eight-year deal. Right. And the big issue was just some stuff they found in his physicals. And they were worried about, you know, they they had to negotiate these weird injury provisions to pay mm-hmm. him less if he got hurt. Right. These are weird things to to negotiate with. If you've ever seen managers talk or not managers, but uh, owners and general managers talking about dealing with Boris, it's an incredibly frustrating process because, you know, he he demands big money because he gets that money for his clients. And right. He's, Carlos he's the Gray best. Is going to be- <laughs> He's going to be signed before the season starts. He's going to, if he's healthy, play most of the season. Yes. That's just how it's going to go. So don't worry too much about all this negotiating. It should not change your opinion of him on the draft, especially because with his profile, it's not like he's this guy who hits a lot of like fly ball scrapers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he he hits the ball hard to the gaps. That's what he does. He'll hit for a high batting average in any park. He'll hit home runs in any park, right? Yeah, he'll hit a couple more in like Cincinnati, but they're not really in play here. Right. He did a few less in Detroit. He's probably not going to Detroit. Right. Um, but I mean, there's just a lot to like about Carlos Correa. Again, he's just a durability concern. He doesn't really steal bases. That's all that you're really worried about. And he probably won't hit 30 home runs because he's going to hit for more batting average than that. A lot of those are going to be doubles. Cause he's not trying to hit fly balls to the pole field. He's trying to hit these like smoked, you know, high line drives, which is awesome. Right. I love that about Carlos Correa. So, you know, that, you know, that's also something to keep in mind. And actually Jeremy Pena, who I felt really high on and he just keeps moving up in drafts and it makes me more and more nervous because you, you know, I do love that in the second half, we saw Jeremy Pena make the adjustments he needed to make. I talked about it in an old podcast. I'll talk about it here. What you saw was a very, very typical thing for players. There's a lull. They, you know, the key came out hot. Then there's a lull and it didn't last as long as you think it did right? It felt like it lasted the whole middle of the season, but it was like a month and a half, maybe two months, probably less that he wasn't that good. He wasn't. I mean, he was bad. He got yeah, cut. In a lot of leagues, maybe all of them, Bad right? That just happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, especially in redraft, but he came back at the end of the season because he is a good hitter. And I yes. think that he can, you know, he finished in the top 15 of the position last year. I think he very much can do that again, right? Even a position that's very, very packed full like shortstop is this year. I think he can do that because he is a very solid, dependable player. Just know that his upside is certainly not the same as like a Carlos Correa or an O'Neill Cruz or a Wander Franco, right? His upside is going to be between like 10 and 15 at shortstop due to how deep that position is. Mm-hmm. There's just not a lot of realities where Jeremy Pena can give you Francisco Lindor numbers or Corey Seager numbers. He can't do that. He's just not that kind of player, but he is a really good shortstop. I think he should hit closer to the top of that lineup this year instead of being at the bottom of it for the Astros, a team that's going to score a lot of runs. So there's a lot of really good things to like there. And, you know, I think that you should be excited about Jeremy Pena and hope that he sort of falls a little later than some of these other names like a Carlos Correa. And I think that may happen as we get closer to the season. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that Jeremy Pena should probably fall a little bit later, those guys. And I think he will. It, but he also represents sort of close to the end of the shortstops that I would be okay with starting in a 12-team league. Mm-hmm. Uh, because once you start getting lower than Jeremy Pena uh, in this tier, I also have Glaber Torres below him. Uh, he's not eligible there in the NFBC. He is in Yahoo leagues. Uh, you know, so you know, in that, like, you're starting to really get to the bottom there. And I really hope you've addressed all your other positions before this. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I mean, there are drafts. I mean, in our first mock draft 
four pitcher list that we did back in the fall, I did take Jeremy Pena as my short, as my uh, starting shortstop, I believe, or maybe my second shortstop, uh, willing to start him much, much later than the rest, right? Because I think that he can give you really good value and he's well above replacement level because that's going to be the weird thing. As deep as shortstop is, the replacement level stinks, right? Mm. Because the replacement level is, you know, like a Javi Baez. He just will not be as good as these other guys. He won't be close. Yeah. So it's, it's an ugly, ugly, mm-hmm. yeah, it's an ugly, ugly replacement level. So Jeremy Pena is this nice piece that's, that's, you know, I think a good tier above that, but it is the, we're getting to the bottom of, of the barrel here. You do not want to have no shortstop and see Jeremy Pena coming off the board. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a situation where you might say, well, you know, the short supposition is so deep. It's so deep. Then all of a sudden you turn around and you, you waited so long <laughs> that all of a sudden, like you said, uh, Javier Baez will be your starting shortstop. And he was a guy I wanted to talk to you about uh, as we close out the episode. And there's a, a, another guy that uh, made this tier, Gunnar Henderson uh, for the Orioles. And just wanted to get your take on those two players. First of all, Javi Baez, kind of a weird season, right? Finally gets that strikeout rate down, and then his his, his season collapses. Right? He had a, a 33.6% uh, K rate the season before, then 2022 dropped it down to 249 uh, and batted 238, 17 home runs, nine uh, stolen bases. And uh, Gunnar Henderson, uh, Ross the Resource has him batting third. Of course, you know, it's not official. It's just their uh, projection, but uh, hasn't batten third uh, for the Orioles and, and playing short as an ADP of 91. Uh, NFBC, by the way, has some third base eligible only, but uh, I just uh, want to get your take on those two players before we go. Yeah, let's start with Gunnar Henderson, obviously. So he's in that tier with uh, sort of, you know, that big giant tier that we have. I rank him, uh, you know, at, Right below Carlos Correa, uh, ADP for NFBC. When we talk about third base, we'll talk about more about Gunnar Henderson. Uh, but, you know, his ADP is just inside the top 100. Uh, I think there's a lot to like about him. Uh, he showed us some really good things when he came on with the Orioles late last season. I think there's a lot of upside there. Uh, but his value, you're not draft, you know, Gunnar Henderson isn't going to be your shortstop. He's going to be your third baseman. That mm. that position <laughs> There are eight guys taken in the top 100 at third base, just as a teaser. The next guy, his ADP is 147. There's a huge, huge gap of third baseman. I mean, there's like eight or nine of them that you want. Mm -hmm. And then after that, it starts getting real ugly in that you need some good things to happen. It's not safe, not safe at all. So Mm -hmm. something to keep in mind when you're looking at that, as far as Javier Baez, you know, People always wanted him to make better swing decisions, blah, blah, blah. But it's because they missed the point about Javier Baez. Javier Baez did what he did. Like when he was when he was a Met, I don't know how much you watched him as a Met, but I'll tell you what he did, and he also did this as a Cub, was he swung that hard because he knew if he hit it, he was going to launch it. Right? Mm-hmm. That's how you hit 30 home runs when you're Javier Baez. You don't do it by patiently waiting and making contact. You do it by putting all, you know, he had great, his hand-eye coordination is not the same as it was. He'll be 30, you know, he is 30 now. He just turned 30 last month, uh, you know, or maybe at the end of November, I forget. Uh, he, you know, uh, December 1st, he turned 30. Here's the thing with Javi Baez. He needs to be swinging hard. You see this actually in the hard hit rate. It's one of the big telling things, the difference between last season and this season. His his uh, average EV comes down by like 
two percentage points, but that's not the number. Look at the hard hit rate drops by seven percentage points. The barrel rate drops by uh, another 5.4 percentage points. I mean, that's just not what we want. Right. And it's because he's not swinging with that authority. He's, he's being a safer hitter. And when you know what you get with a safer hitter with Javi Baez is a season like this 17 to 20 home runs, 70 runs scored, 70 RBI. That's, that's a volume guy. That's mm-hmm. nothing. That's not, you know, is there upside? Sure. But not if he looks like that, mm-hmm. right? I rank him 24th at shortstop. And it's because of that, because he, when he's not doing that stuff, he's not exciting for fantasy. You actually almost want to see him uh, swinging that bat hard. Cause if he's not, he's not going to make that big contact, especially in a big park like Comerica. So mm-hmm. I'm not that high on, on Javi Baez. A couple other guys we didn't mention. I'll just mention them real quick. Um, Ahmed Rosario, I have in the same tier as, as Jeremy Pena. He's one of these good in fantasy and then sort of kind of ugly in real life, but mm-hmm. he puts up some home runs. He puts up, you know, plenty of stolen bases. He hits for a decent batting average. He gets a ton of at bats. So he's, you know, he's okay uh, as a starting shortstop in a 12 teamer, but he's going to be the worst one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's a great middle infield. He's outfield eligible uh, in Yahoo leagues. So that's a nice thing. You might believe in Jorge Polanco for a rebound. You know, I know he suffered a lot of injuries last season. Maybe Jorge yep. Polanco turns it around, uh, could be like a 20 to 25 home run guy. Not the 30 you saw in 2019 because that, you know, actually last season, cause that's just not what he is, but you should be able to get some decent power out of him. Nico Horner is a guy I'm looking at for the Cubs, uh, sort of as that reserve shortstop, uh, mm-hmm. where you can do that. Or maybe that, you know, maybe that late, late middle infielder, he can make a ton of contact. He can get double digit steals, double digit home runs. Uh, and he could hit for a high batting average near a top of the Cubs lineup, right? Him and Dansby Swanson are going to be up there. So I think there's some interesting things there. And then, uh, CJ Abrams, CJ Abrams is a guy to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, uh, you know, he's eligible at second base and short in Yahoo leagues. It might differ based on his position eligibility, but with CJ Abrams, what you're getting is a ton of stolen bases and hopefully some batting average. It really started to see it after he got traded to the nationals towards the end of the season. We saw it get a little bit better. You don't want to be relying on CJ Abrams, but you will see projection systems giving you a big, you know, a nice big high number for CJ Abrams because of those stolen bases. Mm -hmm. That's going to drive his fantasy value. But if you're in leagues that require stolen bases, especially these 12 teamers, CJ Abrams should be available very, very late. And I want to specifically not talk about Aldoberto Mondesi. There's nothing, (laughs) there's no new information he is. He's exactly what, what you thought he was. Mm -hmm. He continues to be that. Um, If you want to take that gamble, go ahead. I ranked him because he has upside, but I I don't think that he's someone that you should be planning to draft. He is a fun last round pick if you want. Right, right. And uh, yeah, glad you mentioned C.J. Abrams. He's a guy I'm going to be watching a lot this preseason. Uh, someone that you could get that, like you said, I mean, uh, you might not draft him as a starter, but you know, has the potential uh, that if he gets hot, you know that the Nationals are going to play him every day. So, uh, you know, at least he has that going for him. Uh, and uh, yeah, Mondesi, you know, uh, you wonder if he is healthy to start the season, which I, I, he should be, but uh, do they move Bobby Witt to third and maybe put Mondesi uh, playing every day? I'm not sure they know. see him as a full-time player. Yeah. So, I mean, that also matters. I, yeah. I did want to call out Tyro Estrada. Uh, mm-hmm. I like Tyro Estrada. What's interesting is I rank him like 23rd among shortstops, but that's because he's not, he's in the top 15 at second base. These two positions, second base and shortstop are like the opposites. Second base is this sort of like smooth transition down. And there's guys that are interesting late that could be starters like a Luis Mm -hmm. Arias, Jeff McNeil, 
CJ Abrams. Now that's a guy who might be your middle infield. He could be your middle infielder and maybe sneak into your starting second baseman, but mm-hmm. at shortstop, they're like bottom of the barrel. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Because point. of just what that top end talent looks like at shortstop versus second base. Yep. All right. Some great analysis from Scott Chu. And that'll slam the lid on things for today. You could follow my buddy Scott Chu at If the Chu Fits. And I'm sure he's working feverishly, fine tuning his uh, player rankings. When do you start working on the hitter list? Uh, you know, when does that, uh, or is that always a work in progress, even? No, oh, well, I mean, I never, I never feel 100% about it, right? Uh-huh. I mean, there's just, it, there's, it's really hard with hitters because we've got, You know, I know pitchers all have five categories, but they all kind of give you the same ones, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Where with hitters, you just have guys that don't steal, right? right? You have guys that don't, you know, that only get runs and not RBI. So, you know, sometimes it's team need, but uh, a hitter list should come out sometime in, you know, I should have a first one maybe in February. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not sure exactly when, but before then, what you will get is my top 30 at all of the infield positions and my top 100 outfielders. That's my main project that I'm working on right now. I know that the next time we chat, it's going to be about third base, man. We, we talked about, I talked about a cliff at shortstop. There's a cliff at third base. (laughs) Third base is the position you need to be the most ready for going into drafts because shortstop, Mm -hmm. someone is going to land to you because there's a bunch of good ones. Third base, you got to go get one. Mm -hmm. All right. So we look forward to seeing you next time in a couple of weeks. Uh, You could follow me at Joe Galina, our first, uh, episode of the 2023 season uh reach out to us let us know what you think of the podcast if there's anything uh, that you think that we need to cover that we didn't uh you could subscribe so you could subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your uh, podcast content from and uh, leave us a review whenever you can and as always we hope that all of your fantasies become realities and we'll see you next time <laughs>